Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Security Squad Podcast. I'm Brian Horning with Exact IT Solutions. I want to welcome my co-host, Mr. Randy Bryan from Tech Rescue down in San Marco, Texas, and Reginald Andre from Arc Solvers down in Miami, Florida. How are we today, gentlemen? Doing good. How about yourself, man? Yeah, and I can't complain at all. Things are going. Things are rolling. Cybersecurity's hot. And we're about to talk about that today and some things that are going on. So uh, today what we're going to talk about what about, is, Andre? <laughs> what, what, what about him? He said something. You just talked over him. Yeah, no, doing good. 76 degrees, mostly cloudy. All good here. Yeah, well, it's cloudy here too, man. What is all that about? <laughs> Y'all are like a thousand miles away. I'm sunny and cold. Hmm. Hmm. So uh, today, uh, title of the show... Is ransomware hackers have the other hand. Uh, we're going to dive into uh, some talks about a congressional report uh, that has recently come out. And we're going to talk about some things that were in there. Um, and then we're going to dive into some kind of current events that support what was in that congressional report. So we're going to talk about that today. Uh, and then we're also going to talk about um, the FBI. The FBI got hacked uh, over the weekend. It was announced. And at this stage, they kind of released some early information. Uh, we're going to talk about that. We're going to talk about where they are today. Um, before we jump into that, remember, share the show. Uh, if we do well and you like what you see here and you learn something, just share us out to your friends and family. Uh, let them know that this podcast exists. It's Security Squawk. It's easy to find. We're on every major podcast platform. Uh, and we grow this show organically by word of mouth. So however you can share us, it helps us out tremendously. So if you listen to us, you're entertained, you're uh, educated, you change, have a different perspective because of something that we shared on this show. We just ask that you should do the same and forward that along and pass the knowledge to somebody that you may know. Uh, and you don't have to do it through social media. You can just tell a friend while you're talking to them, right? You can just say, hey, I, I listen to this podcast. It helps me and my business deal with these, you know, the issues of cybersecurity, and I get a lot out of it. Um, that's really what we're after. We're here to educate you and show you that this stuff is real. It's prevalent. And the time is now to start, you know, shoring up the uh, protections in the business and making sure that we're doing everything to protect our critical assets. Uh, because, you know, as we said, we got this report out today uh, and we were, we were looking at the report from the Washington Post uh, and it basically talks about uh, how ra ransomware hackers have the upper hand basically through the whole entire time of the ransomware attack. Um, and that is what this article basically talks about or, or it talks about the report. Uh, it's a congressional report that highlights how bad a hack can be. Now, a lot of the information that it seems that is in this report has come from the, um, the time when the uh, JBS and the Colonial Pipeline CEOs came in and talked uh, in front of Congress. And a lot of that seems to uh, come out of that. Plus CNA Financial, which is a large insurance firm. Uh, they seem to be kind of the big three attacks that they're talking about. Um, but as it was pointed out in the report that they also looked at other businesses where these things weren't reported. And they also talked about other businesses. 
Um, but it's basically saying its conclusions apply broadly to ransomware attacks across critical industry sectors. So it really looked at those those businesses in these, what is it, 16? Is that the number? Am I right? 16 critical sectors that they've identified. Um, they're actually going to talk about the findings at a hearing this morning. Uh, and today is November 16th. Uh, but the one thing uh, there's, you know, that came out of this is victims often don't know who in the federal government to call. So a government report, um, would you expect this like to be the first big takeaway is that victims often don't know who in the federal government to call? Help me understand like how this is a big takeaway, because I don't know, my perspective is, is that most businesses aren't going to get any help from the FBI or the government if they call and report something like a ransomware attack. It really depends on how big you are, because if you're not big enough, they're probably not going to respond. And that's, you know, that's not only my opinion. I've seen it with my own eyes. I've seen these things go down. I've seen small, very small businesses reach out to law enforcement and you now they get no return call back. So um, what are your guys' thoughts on this? Well, a big takeaway here, victims often don't know who in the federal government to call. Does that surprise you as a takeaway or what are your you know, thoughts around this? Yeah, whenever you think of government, especially big government, it's just a lot of bureaucracy. Um, it's a lot of finger pointing. The article mentioned how it took several hours for, um, for JBS where you had people essentially in the same office trying to figure out who they who should be the best person to help them. So I could definitely, definitely see that. And then just kind of going off the title as well, where it says hackers have the upper hand, you know, regardless of what sport you may like or you may play, it's think of it as like, you know, let's just say Tom Brady in football and he's just driving, like the hacker is 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 just driving down the field and you have the businesses that are just trying to like trying to prevent it, but they can't because they weren't prepared in the, in the beginning. So, um, yeah. So businesses are confused. Hey, government. Uh, sorry. There's a couple of reasons to me why it's surprising. I mean, it kind of jumping off of what Andre was saying, just because it is government. And honestly, that is a common, a common problem, you know, in our city, um, they instituted like a 311 number for people to call because it's so hard for people to find government services. And so they have like a clearinghouse number and a special person to help you. And this kind of maybe, okay, kind of maybe shows a little bit of self-awareness on the government's part of what Andre was saying. Um, you don't know who to call. It is a big government bureaucracy. No one wants to take responsibility. And maybe this does kind of draw that to light. Maybe they're starting to have a little bit of self-awareness. The other thing this really makes me real makes me think of is that in a cybersecurity attack, seconds matter, minutes matter. And, you know, fumbling around with who you're going to call, um, who you're going to call the government, that wastes time. Um, and, you know, so that's a, that's, for those two reasons, I'm not surprised that this is at the, the top of the list. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of other takeaways that I probably would have put at the top of the list. Um, but for those two reasons, I'm not surprised it's here. Yeah, I mean, it, 
the company emailed the FBI, but it took several hours for a substantial reply, as you point out, right? But like, it, JBS is a pretty big company. If a small company emails, they're probably not going to get a reply, right? Um, so that's kind of where we're at. Like, I, if I'm a small business, if I'm not, you know, a multi million dollar business with, you know, hundreds, if not thousands of employees, I'm probably not even thinking about, you know, getting in touch with the FBI because I don't think that they would would help. Um, so the next big thing is hackers put companies under intense pressure to pay ransom quickly to get their computers back online. And that goes back to what two podcasts ago when we talked about all the leverage that they can use against you to make sure that they get paid. Um, and I think it's a timely podcast and a timely time for this report to come out as we talked about that in detail. So if you want to kind of go in depth around this particular uh, point that came out of this uh, report, I would say go back and watch our or listen to our podcast from I guess that would be November 2nd um, and watch the and listen to that podcast because we go into pretty deep detail, pretty deep detail about what these guys are doing today to make sure that they get paid um, because it's not a, just about encrypting files anymore. Um, so it says here that the hackers with the rebel gang uh, told JBS their $22.5 million ransom demand would be double if it wasn't paid quickly. And that's a tactic that we see often with these, that you have a certain amount of time to pay or usually it doubles or something like that. So, um, you know, what are your thoughts here? I mean, since we covered it in a podcast a couple of weeks ago, um, what are your thoughts here about what they're saying here with putting companies under intense pressure to pay the ransom? Um, you feel like this is something that companies really should, I guess let's spin it this way. Um, I guess I'll ask you guys, what are your thoughts around this? If I'm a business owner and I went ahead and I put, I went ahead and I bought cyber insurance. Um, do you think that that's contributing to this problem, cyber insurance and the fact that um, not only do the per the victim who, who has the ransomware know that they can fall back on this, but so does the attacker that they can fall back on this. So um, does, in your opinion, does cyber insurance contribute to this second big takeaway or does it not matter in your mind? It, it, this is going to happen either way. I think it contributes. However, it would be so awesome if there was testimonials or, or some type of documentary of, of showing someone who kind of had that mentality that says, oh, I thought my, you know, by having cyber insurance, I didn't have to care about all this and they would pay it out and they would help me to then talk about the end result and how damaging their business was afterwards. What type of, um, you know, did they lose clients? What information they lost? Because there's never anything at the end that says, yeah, even if my cyber policy assisted me in, in my, in this process, it sucked. Like that would be great to see a spokesperson that could then say, take it seriously. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You can't go back. You can't you can't be just relying on your cybersecurity insurance as your cybersecurity plan, um, because one, if you, if you like they're like they're saying in that very first uh, paragraph, it was it was double extortion. You know, both 
demanding a ransom and then also saying, hey, we're going to release your data if you don't pay within three days. So what's a cybersecurity policy going to do if your data gets put out on the, you know, on the Internet? Yeah, they might help pay for, um, you know, some of that remediation. But if they can't get your honor back, they can't get your name back. They can only help people that were, you know, whose information was uh, was leaked. And then we're starting to see a lot of cyber insurance uh, policies won't even pay for a ransom. They'll pay for other stuff, but they won't pay for a ransom. And then, you know, a lot of times people will say like, oh, well, it's like a flood insurance. Well, when you have flood insurance, you have a house. It gets flooded. You have another way to keep on living like right away. They hook you up in a hotel and you go right back to living right away. Okay, with your business, you can't just do that. You can't unless you have a plan in place. You can't just, you know. Like, okay, I've got cyber cybersecurity insurance, and then I can get back to work like two hours later. It doesn't work that way because they're going to have your systems locked. Your data is going to be in weird places. You're going to be answering all kinds of phone calls, having to deal with all kinds of stuff. Like, that can't be your plan is just to have insurance. No. And, you know, it. I think the other thing that comes out of this report that we're going to hear about and we're probably going to hear about a lot today because this report is coming out today. So they haven't even had a discussion on it within Congress. They released the report ahead of time. But this report is, you know, it really underscores the immense challenge. You know, it, it, it's a government report. So it's basically congressional report saying that the government needs to do better. But it also identified within the report um some of the things that the Biden administration, the current presidential administration is doing to combat ransomware. Um, and obviously the government can put forth law enforcement actions, but as we've discussed on this podcast before, you need to, it needs to be a concerted effort between private industry and government to tackle this problem. And that's the thing that I'm seeing come out of the report that, you know, the government can dedicate resources, it can dedicate money and put effort into these things. The problem is, is on the private side, the businesses, they've, you know, this government has been stressing to businesses that they need to do more, they need to be better with their basic cybersecurity protections. And this report highlights that, you know, the government is struggling, and that they're having less success pressuring companies or pressing companies to do cybersecurity uh, that would prevent ransomware and uh, uh, prevent these breaches and, and these attacks from even being successful and happening in the first place. Um, so for me, that's like the biggest takeaway for me. I don't necessarily line up with uh, the Washington Post article in that they kind of chose two things that are more government oriented and I'm you know a big proponent that businesses need to step up and I see the government stepping up I just don't have I don't have a lot of faith that the businesses are proactively stepping up around this stuff this congressional report backs that up what are your guys thoughts on this like are we are we beating a dead horse at this point by saying businesses aren't stepping up or you know <laughs> should still be you know basically 
preaching this to all businesses because it might take two or three years for businesses to really adopt this at a level that, you know, we need it to be. So this isn't so prevalent. What are your thoughts on that? I mean, the government's not even really at a place yet where it could be like a safety net or something like that. Mm-hmm. I mean, so, so bottom line is um, they're, they're, they're in no place whatsoever really to help a business that comes under a ransomware attack. You might get a little bit, like you said, if you're big enough, maybe you might get a little bit of help. But, you know, are we beating a dead horse? Um, probably. But do we need to keep beating that dead horse? Yeah. Um, yeah, because we've got to take responsibility for our own our own businesses, our own cybersecurity. Um, those those things are important. And we can't just we can't just keep sticking our head in the sand which is very easy to do, especially for a small business because they're busy, they're working their brains out, they hardly have time to think about it. Um, but we can't keep sticking our heads in the sand. We've got, to, we've got to take action. So yeah, let's keep beating that dead horse and let's just keep doing it. Eventually it's gonna wake up. Andre? All right, let's keep on beating dead horse by educating. We have to educate. Well, the interesting thing is, is, and this is, you know, I think this needs to be said, but uh, just like in any business, when you're completely immersed in that, in that business, right, or in that industry, like we are, to us, it seems like beating a dead horse, but to the average business owner, like I was at, I, I was at a dinner last night and I, and I had the opportunity to speak about ransomware to several business owners uh, at this dinner and, the amount of information that we have versus what most business owners actually know, it, it, it's, you know, most business owners, I mean, I run into business owners that don't even know what ransomware is. So you got to start there. Right. And then, you know, they, they might know what ransomware is. They heard about it. They know it encrypts the files, but they don't know all the details that we share, like on this podcast, how the different ways they can get into your system, the different ways that they, are in your network and they get more access by, you know, moving laterally and things like that to actually have a more successful ransomware attack, meaning they've infected more systems, um, you know, by spending a little time in the network. And then once it's deployed, all the tactics that they use to make sure that they get paid, like, you know, making sure they get a copy of all your data before they encrypt it so they can, you know, use that to threaten to release it to the public. Um, you know, this is, these are all details that business owners have no idea. And I think the perspective is, is that a lot of people think that ransomware, like they get in and like less than 15 minutes, they'll put ransomware on your system. And there isn't all this spying going on. There isn't all this intelligence gathering going on before the event. Um, and that's the perspective that I think gets lost on a, a lot of business owners, where we feel like we're beating a dead horse. But the reality of it is, is that they're going to learn about this a little bit, a little bit, a little bit, a little bit over time. And they're going to understand it a little bit more. And then one day a business owner is going to wake up and realize he's got a big problem in front of him and he's got to start doing something about it. And that's really how this is all playing out for most businesses. And very, very few businesses are doing cybersecurity the way that it needs to be done. That's why, the incident risk, the the uh, incident response companies 
the companies that are very good with incident response or have expertise in incident response are making a killing right now because it's there's more incident response going on than preventative you know activities mm -hmm. um so one of the things that's going to come out of this sucker is uh when they have their hearing today is uh they're going to mention the uh fbi system that was that was hacked that i mentioned at the top of the show um and that's going to come up today as they talk about the um as they talk about the hearing uh james comer who is the um who's the committee chair for this is actually going to open up his open up the meeting with opening remarks and he's going to talk about um the hacker's ability to penetrate the fbi system and how that could create catastrophic consequences and chaos um so we're going to talk about that uh specific fbi attack in a minute here um but before we leave kind of this whole topic of this investigation um is there anything that you guys want to talk about because i would like there is this infrastructure package that just passed and there is one point the 1.2 million dollar uh infrastructure package had about 2 billion in cybersecurity money and those funds are aimed at boosting state and local cybersecurity through 1 billion dollar grant programs um so 20 million is going to the office for the national cyber director and then 100 million for the cyber response and recovery fund for victims of significant hacks. So they're setting money aside for significant hacks. So there you go, uh, really big companies. You have not only your cyber insurance policy, but the US government willing to bail you out if you decide not to do things the way that you should. Um, and then they also plan to develop a, uh, a, a massive spending bill, which would put 500 million towards CISA's cybersecurity program. So what do you think about all this money being poured into the industry? It continues to be just throwing money and just hoping that the problem gets solved. I would have loved to see that when you get, if you get this money, you have six months, you have one year and you better show us reports that have these check marks. And if you don't have it, we're automatically taking that money back out of your account. Or, right. Or how about we'll give you X amount of dollars to, to start doing this. And then, but as a result in, you know, however much money you take, obviously, if you're a small company and you take less money, it, the, the term should be shorter. Bigger companies, the term should probably be longer because it's going to take you more time. So let's say six months for an average business, like you mentioned, and in six in six months, we're going to have an auditor come in and they're going to audit your cybersecurity practices. And if you don't pass, you have to give us this grant money back. Yeah. Right. And, that, and that's a good way to go about doing this. Go ahead, Randy. Well, I was just going to say the crazy thing is this um, this package. I mean, I don't want to get too political, but twelve hundred billion dollars is what it is. One point two trillion, twelve hundred billion. And out of the twelve hundred billion. Two billion is going to cybersecurity, so one six hundredth of that is going to cybersecurity, and then of that, one billion is going towards grants to boost state and local cybersecurity. I mean, that seems like it's a tiny, tiny, tiny amount compared to the other stuff in this bill. It's a tiny, tiny amount, and now we have politics involved, right? 
so we know where this money is going to go. It's going to go to friends of friends through contracts and, you know, government contributions, the, the guys that own consulting companies that, you know, have given to their political, you know, buddies or these, this money is going to flow down to them first. And we're not talking about a lot of money in the grand scheme of things. You're right. Um, so is this, you know, a whole bunch of much to do about nothing because it's such a minuscule amount of money um, and the way it's probably going to be distributed. I mean, when I hear that it's going to go from federal to state to local, I just hear a lot of palms being greased along the way. Yep. I mean, that's how it is in Jersey. I don't know how it is where you guys are, but that's that's the reality. I mean, I hate to be a Debbie Downer, but that's just how it works. <laughs> Yeah. So, I mean, just like, for example, like just the state of California got like 2.7 billion for COVID relief. Um, You know, so we're talking that was for one state. And in this bill, you know, putting one billion towards all state and local government for cybersecurity. (sighs) It just seems like it's not enough. I'm with you. So. Uh, I always love bringing these up because I always love when, you know, I talk to people in and around the government who are like, oh, yeah, I'm good. I got I got, you know, the FBI. I got NSA. I got dudes that work for this company or X this, uh, you know, taking care of my cybersecurity. And I always, I always, that always makes my head turn a little bit. Like, you know, like when my dog looks at me when, you know, when it's looking at me like crazy, like looks, I always look at business people when they say that to me, like my head starts to turn a little bit. Like, what the hell does that mean? Just because they had a job with the government doesn't mean they're any good at doing anything. And I love showing these types of stories because here it is, the, the FBI, the best of the best, right? Quote unquote, air quotes. Um, got whacked. They got they got hacked, and here it is. Their servers got hacked, and these hackers were able to send out emails from an FBI.gov address to other uh, employees in the FBI. Um, sophisticated attack, as they always say. Um, they were able to uh, mitigate the vulnerability and get them out of the system and stop the emails from going out. Uh, but as we pointed out earlier in the article about the infrastructure bill, uh, the Congress has, has caught, this has caught the eye of, of certain congressional leaders, and they're going to point this out that you know the FBI got hacked and it could have caused a lot of problems. So let's discuss that first. Um, what could have happened here? What, what, what I mean, it sounds like they got out of it pretty unscathed. But why is this a problem? Well, and before we even go there, I would even want to point out that this is not a coincidence. I don't believe it's a coincidence from the meeting that's happening today. That we, you know, that, that like they did this ahead of that. I'm sorry. Like they did, like the perpetrators did this ahead of that on purpose. Yeah, yeah, it's going to be an egg on their face. Here, here, FBI was coming in, and all these agencies coming in to talk how great they are. And the first question that the senators are going to ask is, what the hell happened over the weekend? All right. Well, I mean, and also whenever I see sophisticated attack, um, I'm also and, you know, the government and FBI all in one sentence. I'm always a little leery of that 
Um, and then if you read deeper into the article, it was hardware that was impacted. And then it said they remediated the software vulnerability, which sounds like they ran some updates. I'm wondering how literal sophisticated was this? You know, did somebody just drop some, you know, weekend at Bernie USBs around Washington, D.C., and somebody picked them up and took them into their uh, computer inside the FBI. And, you know, then they took advantage of a software vulnerability that probably already should have been should have been patched. I mean, does that count as a sophisticated attack? Um, I mean, I don't know. I'm a little leery of that at the at, on the headline. Yeah, I get, you know. We lo we love the word sophisticated attack because nobody nobody uh, nobody really defines what sophisticated means. I mean, I have my own definition of what sophisticated means, and, and not patching known vulnerabilities. Yes, is is not well does not qualify as sophisticated. And it says they took advantage of a software misconfiguration. Oh, okay. you mean your SMTP server allowed? You right. know. People Remote connection from the outside without authentication. Right. That's right. not a sophisticated if that's it. But that's you know, probably, it's, you probably just nailed it on the head 100. percent I mean, they they so the the messages hit at least 100,000 mailboxes within the FBI, right? So let's talk about that, right? If I if I have the ability as a criminal or somebody nefarious to hit the inbox of a hundred thousand people that work for the FBI. It's very easy for me to craft an email to say, "Here's something going on. Here, click on this link," uh, and I and I buy a domain that looks like FBI.gov, but it's really, you know, FBI.gov. You know, something. And people IT. pay attention to that, right? And then they click on it, and boom! Now I got a payload or some, you know, something else going on in the system, or. You know, they click on it and we're saying log into your email. It looks like an email login screen. And now we're starting to collect email addresses for uh, people that work within the FBI. Um, there's a lot of different things that you could do with this. Right. Um, and this is social engineering at its finest. But, you know, you're right, Randy. If this goes back to an unsecured SMTP server, I mean, that's like that's like. Some kindergarten stuff, but that's what I also said at the beginning of this segment when I brought up what I how I feel about when people put uh, two things: put you know government workers, ex government workers, and ex criminally convicted cyber criminals on a pedestal when it comes to cybersecurity, right? And it seems like those are the two predominant uh, roles that kind of you know, when you're talking about keynote speakers and people that get hired to do speaking and talk about cybersecurity, it's usually they either work for the government or they worked or they were in the military or they were a convicted ex-cyber criminal. Um, and that's the state of the industry that we live in right now, which, you know, I think some things around that probably need to change. So, so anything else you want to talk about with this one or do we miss any, any big points? Um, I mean, uh, this this just continues to go to show you that a lot of these hackers are not doing anything where they're running like these crazy programs to break into your system. A lot of times it's just basic stuff that's being missed, two-form factor that's not on, a password or something like that. So it's not, it doesn't take that much work to protect your systems, at least on the basic level. Right. And the other, the other thing is just, What's the point of this? 
Um, the point is just to generate concern, um, you know, generate fear. Um, you mentioned, one of y'all mentioned that, you know, it's not a coincidence that the hearing's going on today. Um, you know, if they're going to be throwing money at the problem, maybe because of this, they end up throwing more money at the problem because you're right. It does kind of, uh, does kind of hit home. Um, but anyway, no, I mean, the reality of it is, is that there's, there's email scams that are, and this is the seriousness of this. There's email scams that are email spoofing attacks, right? Where somebody tries to pretend to be somebody that they're not using a domain that's not related to that company. Uh, maybe they'll use Randy Bryan as the display name, but it's a Gmail address, right? And people usually fall for those types of things this way by being tricked into things this, that way. When you're legitimately taking over somebody's email server and you have the ability to send, that's a whole nother level, right? That's a whole, that's a whole nother ball of wax when I can send an email from Randy at techrescue.com or whatever your email, I don't, is it techrescue.com or de, dot net? Something like that. Yeah. We, we don't, I thought we didn't uh, publicize those things. Just kidding. Oh, oh I don't care. I, oh, I'm xitx.com. I don't give a crap. Yeah. It's mytechrescue.com. My tech, I knew it was something like that. My tech rescue. There we go. And uh, so, you know, if I can fake that out, I'm more likely to trick people in your company to yep. do what I'm trying to get them to do because Obviously, if you're doing some level of cybersecurity awareness training, you're training them, look at the from email address. And if the from email address is mytechrescue.com, why would that give anyone any pause to investigate that any further? Right. Because you don't you don't suspect the email address to be the thing that's wrong. And that's the big deal with with this, with the FBI. So um, and then, you know, just to kind of add to the original Washington Post article that we talked to talked about and like the upper hand that these hackers and these criminals have. Um, I, I want to jump into some like examples that we have of like stuff that's really not being talked about that's going on out there. We, we found, we found this article on vice where the booming underground market for bots that steal your two FA codes. So, Nobody's talking about this, folks. This is new. This is nobody's talking about these types of attacks. Nobody's uh, letting you know that this stuff is going on. But we are on the Security Squawk podcast. So um, I don't know who wants to take the lead on this one because I forget who actually brought this to our attention. But start talking here. But what the hell's going on here? What are these bots? I think it was you, Andre. Um, but. What is going on here? They steal your 2FA codes. I thought 2FA was like the holy grail for like making sure I don't get hacked. Nope. So what they essentially do is they, um, this is like an automated system where they call or text you to say, did you try to um, do a purchase at Macy's for $100? And you're going to say no. So you press one for no. And then the system is going to say, okay, just to verify you are who you are. We are going to send you a code to your phone and give us that code and we'll go ahead and decline the payment and don't worry, everything is safe. And essentially, they now just got your six-digit code that changes every you know, 60 seconds or whatever. So if they time it right and it's not the end of those 60 seconds, theoretically, if they have enough time, they could try to log into 
Coinbase, Amazon, PayPal, bank accounts, you know, you basically have a minute before that code changes in, in, in most cases, right? Um, and if you're getting text messages, sometimes it's longer. Um, so it depends how you have your two-factor set up, right? You can use apps, right? You know, most, I guess the three most popular ways are, are, are authenticator apps like Google Authenticator, Microsoft has one. There's probably other ones, Passly, things like that, uh, Authy. Um, then you have text message and then you have email, which is kind of the, the worst way to do two-factor, but it, at least it's better than nothing, right? Um, so the... Go ahead, the, Randy. Well, the sneaky one, the sneaky thing here is while they're calling you um, on the phone, they're also trying to log in to your bank site. Right. And then they're not, they don't actually send you a code. The bank site sends you the code and then you give it to the people on the phone and then they enter it, they enter it in. Um, I've or also seen it back to them and, and they get it that way. Yeah. And I've also seen this happen with, um, or have read about this happening with also um, having key loggers, basically doing the same thing, but key logging when you try to log in and then using that at the same time, which I think that was a known vulnerability that's been uh, like, I'm pretty sure that uh, Google, I know, fixed that where you can't log in using the same code at the same time in different geographical regions or whatever. Yep. And that's good. Like companies like Google build those kind of security precautions in where if it recognizes that you just logged in from some other area of the world that you're typically not in, um, it typically sets off some, all kinds of alarms. But not every not every, you know, IT company like Google has that in place. Um, so don't you know, don't rely on that exclusively is like, you know, you think that Amazon must do it. PayPal must do it. Your bank must do it. Right. Frankly, Google's like, you know, Google and Microsoft are really the only ones that kind of force you into these security protocols. Everyone else, it's very optional and they're not looking for activity. Um, they're not all looking for activity like Google they're does, not. Microsoft does. Right. So um, the other interesting thing in this headline here that I think we should point out to people is, um, Andre, when you kind of described that there, you were kind of like, well, you send it to them. Right. And this article and the headline clearly points out that this is bots. So, Randy, help our audience understand what a bot is um, and why that is like kind of like a big deal for this. It's a little word, but it, it changes this dramatically. If we were like the booming underground market for hackers that steal your 2FA codes is one thing, but when you say the word bots, that brings this thing to a whole new level. So right. let's understand. So, well, the word bots comes from the larger word called robots. And when we think of robots, we think of more full functioning systems that can do a lot of things like, you know, walk around and talk and, you know, do tasks and things like that. So the shortened version of the word bots, which comes from that, a bot is really more of a specialized robot, if you will. It's a, an app. It's a procedure that's running, but it's specialized to just do a certain thing. Like maybe a bot is, you know, pinging a website and you get millions of bots that their whole purpose is to get a website to ping from their bot master, which would be a control, you know, like a control panel. 
and tell them to all ping, you know, yahoo.com. And when you've got a million bots, you start pinging yahoo.com and yahoo.com can potentially go down. So the crazy thing about it in this perspective is using bots allows it to be scalable. So, you know, if you just call up one, you know, little old lady on the phone, if you will, she may not use a phone for multi-factor authentication, you know, or if you just start calling the phone book in a town or something like that. But when you're using a bot, it allows you to do millions of them. It's it basically, you can do as many as you, you know, numbers that you have. Um, and then also it, it allows them to, by casting such a wide net because they can do that, then they're more likely to actually find people that actually have their phone set up as multi-factor. Um, and I would just say bottom line is if you get any kind of phone call from anybody that involves finances, just get their name or find out what company it is, hang up and call the actual line back just to make sure. I know that this has happened to me before where I've gotten this call. Um, I've had people call me saying, you know, hey, there's a blah, blah, blah on your you know, bank account. OK, cool. I'll call back and we'll get this straightened out because I don't take incoming calls that relate to my finances like that because I'm going to call. It's the same if you get a link in your website. If you get a link on an email and you're not sure about it, you know, go directly to the website. Don't maybe don't go through the link. Go directly to the website. Log into your account and verify that way. Yep. All great points. Most important thing is you don't need a human sitting behind the keyboard to do the damage. You got total automation at your fingertips and you can have that thing running 24 by seven because you don't need to feed bots. Bots don't need to sleep and bots can work really, really, really fast. Yep. That's a major, major problem. And, and yep. again, why we point this out for businesses is we want to, give you the information that allows you to see what you're up against and how as time goes on every day that you decide not to do anything and not to address the cybersecurity in your company, you're falling behind significantly in the technology that's being used against you in this warfare. And that's how you have to look at this. Like starting today will help you prevent the attacks of tomorrow. But if you don't do anything today, the attacks of tomorrow are just going to make it way easier for your company to be exploited. And that's how you need to look at this. So moving into our last topic of the day, um, we got this interesting situation that goes right along with what we've been talking about, how these guys have the upper hand and what's going on. But we have Proofpoint, which is a cybersecurity company. Uh, and there was a fish that harvests Microsoft Office 365 and Google logins. So basically email logins, right? Because most people, if you're not using O365 through Microsoft Exchange or whatever you want to call it, you're probably using Gmail, right? Or G Suite or Google. Um, so what was happening here, gentlemen, fill everybody in. Um, phishing emails, proof point, cybersecurity company. Let's paint the picture. What's happening? I mean, it was your classic phishing email that was um, basically look, made to look like it was coming from Proofpoint. Um, and it was able to get past Microsoft, it was able to get past, you know, their 
basically evade security, if you will, and actually get out to a, uh, you know, to a bunch of people. So I guess the bigger issue for me here is, is like Proofpoint was, was the, um, was the company that these attackers decided to use. Um, and it says in the article that, um, Fishers were impersonating Proofpoint to attempt to make off with victims, Office 365 and, and Gmail credentials. And it was a targeted attack against a unnamed global communications company with nearly a thousand employees. And they were targeted just within that one organization. So this is a this is something that businesses are going to have to think about and address, right? That criminal hackers can figure out what IT people you're working for, what cybersecurity company you're working for, and then craft phishing emails to make it look like it's coming from your IT company or your social or your cybersecurity company, or quite frankly, any vendor that you work with can be picked off. Um, and you know they can send an email, uh, can make it look like a secure file was sent to you from your cybersecurity company, you know, as a, as a, a link or an attachment and they get your users tricked into clicking on this and, and doing this. Um, if you see the proof point logo, if you see your IT company's logo, if you see uh, the cyber company, cybersecurity company that you work with logo um, that builds trust in your mind. And it's like, I think people, lie to themselves and say, I would never fall for something like that. Um, when we do phishing tests on companies to people who are in IT and those IT people every so often, you know, fall for a phishing thing that we throw at them because some of the ones that we throw at them look very, very good, right? They look exactly like they came from Microsoft or Google, unless you are really paying attention to what is going on in these emails we're probably going to trick you at some point. Um, and that's the reality. Like that's, I'm just painting the picture of reality that your, your employees, as good as you think they are, as good as security awareness training, you think you're putting in your company, they can always be tricked in this manner. Right. And they're getting better and better at doing research to figure out like, well, maybe Proofpoint posted on their website or did a press release saying that they got this huge company as an account, right? So when that kind of stuff happens, when you market to the world that you're working with this client as an IT, like we don't do this at Exact IT. I won't tell you the names of the companies that we are currently working for. I might mention that companies that I've worked for in the past that I no longer have a relationship, but if you're a current client of mine, I will not name your company anywhere on my website, anywhere that will expose your company's name that we do your cybersecurity or IT, because I don't want somebody setting up a separate fake website, a separate fake email account and using my logo and sending that out to people and trying to trick people. Um, your guys thoughts on that? Cause that, it's a big deal and it's a big concern, not only for us as IT companies and cybersecurity companies that our clients could become victims in this manner, but every business owner should be aware of this crap that it's going on, you know? Yeah, that's, and I think even even a deeper where you do client testimonials or you put, like you said, yeah. Brian, who you're working with, 
this is what hackers are going to do. They're going to go on the website and you're essentially feeding them the information. So right. if you're telling, you know, on the marketing side, it may be nice to say that you work with the local, you know, ABC company, but then they're going to go back around and say, okay, you work with them. We're going to find an invoice or find something that we, you know, we can look online. And now we're going to fish your accounting person to think that we're sending them an invoice and just go through this process of everything we talked about. So, so at the end of the day, it's about the education. And, and as we talked about, you know, passwords and, and not using the same passwords because your employees are literally being attacked. It's like a silent attack. Yep. And go ahead, Randy. I was just going to say you're, 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 you're relatively safe from just the outside. And so the criminals have to get on the inside. And the number one way they do it is through phishing sure, emails sure. like this. The crazy thing is, it looks like they got into a legitimate email account of a fire department in France. And that was how they got through because it was a it was legit. That was how they and they used that email address to get through um, the, the you know, through the Microsoft security. And it looks like they also used um, a semi legit website for the uh, the links. Um, which didn't, you know, trigger the security. Um, trigger. But, so, but Randy, in other words, let's break that down real quick because what you said there is really, really super important, right? Because I'm a business owner, right? And what you just said there, and I'll play the business owner and you be the guy who knows all this stuff and explain it just like you did there. Well, Randy, I have email protection. Like, shouldn't my spam filter stop that email from even getting to me? Like, why was this different? Why, why didn't my email protection stop that email from getting to me? This was different because it evaded, it evaded the spam because they used a legit, um, a legit sender, which right. they had compromised. Right. And then they used a, um, a semi-legit website. So let's um, stop there before we go into the website. Okay. Let's, so... What happens is, is that uh, I, so I get control of this guy's email in this firehouse in France, right? He has a legitimate, like Microsoft Office 365 email, just like you do as, as the business owner. So he's not on any block list. He's not on any spam list. He's not a known spam sender. So th this automatically will give him the ability to get past these spam filters because that's one of the first things that they look for. Um, so this very much by these spam filters as they evaluated all these emails that came from this individual's email account basically said, oh, this looks like a transactional email and this is not spam. We're going to let this through. So now hackers have successfully used an email system to now penetrate inside of a network. And that's how this happens, right? So on the email, when the users receive it, it comes from this guy in this firehouse from France, right? But now there's this, you know, obviously, if I'm not looking at the email address, maybe I'm on my phone, maybe I'm at my kid's soccer game, and I see this thing, and proof point, oh, that's our cybersecurity company. What do they have to say? Oh, I have to change my password. There's something going on. I better do that now. Here's, boom, they click on the link. And now they go to this website, right? And the website, um, you know, Randy, I'm, I'm, you know, you told me that our, you know, we had these web filters that would block all these bad websites and stuff. Like, mm -hmm. why didn't this block, why didn't this, you know, web content filtering block 
the website from showing up on my computer screen. It showed up and I, you know, I typed in my username and password. Why didn't the system work? I mean, because basically they were very sneaky in that, um, like I said, they used a semi-legitimate email. I mean, a semi-legitimate website, which actually on um, at the root of it actually redirected to a legit company. So they, they made it look even more legit. If you like typed it in, it would redirect to a legit company. So, so instead they, of it being some crazy long URL that if I rolled my mouse over it, like the security training tells me to do, um, and I usually see some crazy email or, or website link, and that's like my signal that I don't click on it because it ends in .br and not .com, right? Um, so I, I believe what you're saying is is that that didn't happen, right? It legitimately might have had just like a top level domain that said, right. or it would be know, like if they if they got a domain that said, and you know, like proofpointemail.com or something like that, right? Where you see it and you're like, oh, that's a point proof point domain. That's email. Makes sense to me. Click and if you on. type it in, it would automatically redirect to the actual proof point site. And maybe you weren't looking when you saw it do that because it went so quick. So you're like, oh, okay. Looks legit to me. Well, it doesn't take you to the proof point site. It takes you to the hacker's site that looks like you know, your email log. So, like so the root of this, so they had a link that went to hosted files. That's where right. the malware was. But then the, uh, or that's where, you know, they got your stuff. But then the root of that actually redirected to a legit site. So, you know, fakeproofpointcompany.com slash hosted files takes you to the bad place. Fakeproofpointcompany.com just entering that in redirects to, to the legit proof point site is basically how they were hiding it. Got it. So they put a lot of thought into this, right? It wasn't like they just st stood yeah. this up. They thought about like, how could a user interact with this and what's the best way that we can make it look legit. And they looked at a few different scenarios that could happen, like taking, you know, the extension or the, you know, the folder name off the end of the domain and just going back to the original domain or Googling the domain to see if it's legit. And if it happens to show up in Google, I don't know. I kind of think people go, okay, it showed up in Google. It's legit. Mm -hmm. Right. And if I click on it through Google, then I'm okay. Right. I think that that's a thing that people think. Um, it's, Still, if you type it in Google and the website shows up in Google, that means nothing from a security standpoint. Google doesn't, you know, Google does do somewhat of a scan to check for malware. If active malware is running like and you'll get it through a browser or something like that. But they have no idea if that web domain is being used to harvest email credentials in a nefarious way. Right. Yeah, it's never been used for criminal purposes. It's not going to show up. Yeah, exactly. So, all right, gentlemen, I think we've uh, talked to talk and educated yet again for week 44. I think we're on, we're like eight weeks away from a year, which is wow. really freaking cool. Um, so yeah, I guess we started in January of 2021, right? Andre, somewhere around there, yeah. whatever it been, right? So, you know, about two months, we're going to have 52 episodes up. Uh, you can, again, download these episodes on iTunes, Spotify, Audible. Facebook has a podcasting platform now. 
we are everywhere. So um, our last episode that we put up, uh, the, the one of the last ones that we put up got a massive amount of downloads. So um, people are listening to us on normal podcasting platforms and not really watching us live or on social media, which is cool. I mean, we do this, uh, we do the live because we want people to see us. We don't, we don't overproduce this. We don't, you know, edit the audio after we post it. What you see here live is what we post up in the audio. We just know that people like to consume content in different ways. Some people like to watch video. Some people like to listen to stuff while they're in the car. So we give it to you all. Uh, and we also use the social media so you can ask us questions. So um, we really want to ramp that up. The other thing, too, is uh, we're going to have some guests on the show in the very near future. We're lining up guests uh, to come on to the show and, and interview them about some of the stuff that they do and talk to you and educate you uh, on security and, and the stuff that we educate you on. Just get you a different perspective on the show. And once we give you that perspective, you know, hopefully uh, these guys can bring in, you know, different advice and different uh, and you can see it from a different angle than just the three of us. So that's the name of the game. So remember, share our show. Uh, and uh, if you made it this far, you know, if you could leave a review on uh, all our favorite podcasting platforms and just tell people why this is a worthwhile podcast for you to watch or to listen to or watch. So uh, security is our website. We will see you guys next week on the other side. Have a good week and we'll see you soon.